Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, production of iHeartRadio. So, disclaimer on this episode, we are recording this the week before the United States election. So we don't know what's going to happen as you're listening to this. Um, But... We thought we would do an update on some other stuff that's happened, non-election related. So we're like, everyone's talking about the election, but us. (laughs) Uh, We'll talk about some other news stuff. I'm sure we'll eventually get there. But right now, we're going to talk about some other things. Yes. Um, And not that it's all great things, obviously. As we know, the pandemic in the U.S. is still continuing and growing. And though communities everywhere are trying to reopen, new cases are spiking. We are hitting new highs again. And with that, the continued economy and unemployment suffers. Uh, Not too long ago, we talked about the disproportionate impact the pandemic has had on women. And now we have some more concrete numbers and have even started a new word to describe what is happening, which is she-session. Oh, wow. Yeah, or they're calling it she-recession. So apparently there was used to be uh, the term man-session way back when, but now oh. it's a she-session. And that is really difficult for me to say. I'm that's sorry, a tongue, everyone. That's a tongue twister. <laughs> <laughs> and many experts fear the regression of progress for women in the workforce, including the fact that the closing, the gender gap, wage gap is going backwards. That is so upsetting. Uh, between the months of August and September alone, almost 1.1 million workers, 20 and over, are no longer working. And out of the 1.1 million, 865,000 of them are women, four times the amount of men. And not surprisingly, a majority of these women are Black and Latinx women who are seeing the highest rates of unemployment. And a recent survey completed by McKinsey and LeanIn.org show that one out of every five working mothers are considering dropping out of the workforce, while only 11% of men said that they were thinking about doing that. Another 15% of mothers reported slowing down are, quote, dialing back their careers. Yeah. And within the hetero household, working mothers, at least uh, 40% of them say they spend an additional three or more hours a day on childcare and household responsibilities than they did during the pre-COVID times, while only 27% of the men say that for themselves. Uh, Women are three times as likely to be responsible for housework and childcare and also maybe twice as likely to be judged by their performance or lack thereof, which, as we have discussed before, causes a higher rate of burnout. And it's not just the caregiving issues that are causing problems for women in the workplace, uh, but it also seems some of the most impacted industries are those that are occupied by mainly women. Uh, According to more data, women make up 60% of the state and local government jobs, and last month alone, there was a net loss of 18,200,000 100,000 state and local jobs. And with that, this also impacts the rest of the community as workers such as teachers, public health, and caseworkers also play critical roles in maintaining our communities. And with that, we wanted to talk about the food insecurity and poverty issues that are happening. In a recent report by Care.org, with the already large number of people going hungry around the world, an additional 130 million people will be affected 
due to COVID-19, and those who are most affected are women and girls. Uh, They state women and girls are eating less and earning less and struggling to find food for their families. And with that, most international COVID relief plans overlook their needs. All around the globe, women and girls have had harder times due to losing jobs, social distance rules and regulations, and business closures. And at the same time, food shortages, gouging prices, and overall closures have made it hard for women to get food. And because of this, we see women sacrificing food to make sure that the rest of the family can eat. Many of the policies for aid relief are not including gender bias and struggles in their plans. And if they do, um, are including them as victims instead of recognizing the women as leaders and playing vital roles in their communities and bettering the food system. Or as Tanya Ra, Director of Global Food and Nutrition Security Advocacy of Care states, organizations and officials need to include the women. Women are more at risk of hunger and malnutrition, and they are themselves powerful agents who are stepping up to lead in their families and communities because they already play pivotal roles in food systems. And yeah, with the increased risk of food poverty and food insecurities, there are greater risks for likelihood of sexual exploitation or even child marriages for dowries, as well as possible increase in physical abuse and domestic violence. And there is so much we still don't know about COVID-19, but uh, more and more studies are starting to come out. And of course, research is early and preliminary in a lot of cases. But one thing we did want to touch on is something called long COVID. A new study has found that women between 50 to 60 years old are more likely to experience long COVID with symptoms like fatigue and breathlessness lasting for months. Sometimes, I guess, some people who got it early still have it. Um, About 1 in 20 who have COVID-19 will go on to develop long COVID. Generally, women were twice as likely as men to experience symptoms for over a month up until the age of 60 when it pretty much evened out. The risk of long-lasting symptoms do go up with age. Um, When compared with 18 to 30-year-olds, women aged 50 to 60 were eight times likelier to experience long-lasting symptoms. And compared to men of the same age, women 40 to 50 years old were twice as likely to have long-lasting COVID. Researchers believe this has to do with gender differences in immune responses. But again, they also stress that this is early research. It hasn't been peer-reviewed. We still have a lot to learn. Um, but that's interesting and frightening, I suppose. Right. (laughs) But let's move on from COVID for now. And we're going to talk about entertainment. Uh, there's a lot we wanted to touch on in the entertainment world. Um, and I, I guess we'll start with The Bachelorette, which, uh, Samantha and I do not watch. No. Just to be upfront. However, I have friends who adore it and I'll get random angry messages about it. Uh, especially when there's something that uh, they deem uh, me as a host on a feminist show, should I should know this. <laughs> and recently, um, they were texting me about a confrontation that happened on The Bachelorette. So let me break this down for you, Samantha, okay? Okay, okay please. All right, so there were two teams playing dodgeball. It was strip dodgeball. Oh. Uh, you know, and so The Bachelorette is watching as these men play strip dodgeball, whatever. Okay, jump to the next episode. One of the dudes is like, Claire, that was really classless of you and gross, and I can't believe you had us do this, you know, on the show that I'm sure she has all creative decisions and also, like, 
it's the bachelorette dude. What do you think is happening here? Um, and so she got really angry, got in his face and was like, I never thought I'd have to say this, but I don't want you to be the father of my child. You can't speak to me that way. And he like angrily left and said, you need to remember you're the oldest bachelorette ever. Remember you're 40. You're almost 40, Claire. Um, and that was like his insult to her and it it was kind of like I watched the clip and it was kind of like he was saying like I don't want you to be he said I don't want you to be the mother of my children and also you're too old so you probably can't have kids and also like your value you're the worst bachelor ever because you're older Um, so that was pretty gross it was pretty gross yeah I'm guessing he got kicked off yeah she was like get out of here man and all the other dudes kept saying bro calm down bro calm down (laughs) Uh, wow. Got heated up on The Bachelorette. I think that's the whole thing, Samantha. <laughs> oh, oh, is that how it goes? Okay, I don't I, I think don't the, know. the drama is a big piece of it, from what I understand. Uh, we sound like so out of touch <laughs> right now. I'm so out of touch. But to be fair, this is one of the, again, a long-running show that has been around for a long time. So I'm honestly surprised it's still going. People love it. I, okay. I there's a whole like section of podcasts that's just the Bachelorette reaction podcast. Yeah, we have friends who have them. Yes, we do. Yes, uh, but I guess it's interesting to see how because I thought most of the drama was between the contestants and not necessarily with the main person. I, I think that's normally how it goes. Or, or the drama between the contestants and the main person is much less uh, angry drama and much more like mm-hmm. romantic drama. But yeah, it was. I I was very. Outraged by it, yeah. honestly. Well, he is now going to be a villain. And he knows <laughs> yes. that for the rest of his life. Yes. <laughs> so that's all we have to say about The Bachelorette for now. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's move on to uh, Billie Eilish. So a couple of weeks ago, the paparazzi took a photo of 18-year-old Billie Eilish wearing more form-fitting clothes than she typically does. Um, and it was just a tank top and some shorts. And, of course, the internet went wild, uh, critiquing her body, uh, defending the image, calling her brave. Uh, In 10 months, Billie Eilish has developed a mid-30s wine mom body, someone tweeted. Um, And a lot of people just picked this image apart, criticizing her body, uh, like they'd just been waiting for this opportunity. Uh, yeah, in, res- in response, people definitely stepped in to defend her, a majority of them being young women calling her brave, which is a whole other conversation. I know we're going to talk about it in a minute. Basically, for having a body that isn't a size zero, as is the norm of women in Hollywood. But Elisha's whole thing has been she wanted to focus to- on her voice and not her body. Uh, she once said, quote, if I wear what is comfortable, I'm not a woman. If I shed the layers, I'm a slut. Though you've never seen my body, you still judge it and judge me for it. Why? And I think that's definitely a big question because, again, she's a teenager. Yeah. And you want to talk about why it's so gross to sexualize a girl, as well as the fact that she can wear whatever the fuck she wants. A, B, if it, and she was previously wearing very, very, very loose fitting clothes and everyone was giving her shit about that. It's just like, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yep. It's that line. Women don't walk. I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that whole thing about her body being brave. It's just, it's not brave. It's normal. It's being comfortable. What the hell? I know. It is true that because of this very critique, this very thing we saw, there can be some level of bravery involved in showing off your body publicly, um, especially if you go in with that message. But mostly it's just inevitable when beauty standards for women are so impossible to attain that your body might not 
probably doesn't fit those beauty standards. Um, For the most part, this isn't a brave choice we make. It's just genes. Um, It's rigid. It's a rigid punishing expectation on how women should look that we exist with and choosing not to hate your body when it doesn't fit that shouldn't be brave. Um, I get what people were trying to do. Right. But, yeah, I mean, it's just... Well, it's also irritating to call it brave because what we have to have some kind of extra strength to just be exist. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's the part that drives me crazy because the photo is of her leaving a store, leaving her house, just walking. So it's not like she's doing a cover shoot where she's showing off her body. She's living her life and mm-hmm. paparazzi because that's how they make their money. And they take a picture and just everyone like smears their opinions all over it, when in actuality, she's just doing her life. She's not doing anything. She's not trying to publicize anything. She's just there. And sure, she's famous because the craft she loves and what she's good at and what she's getting paid for is partly being in a public figure. But come on, this is not brave. This is just what it is. And to put either one of those connotations on it, it is a smack in the face of everyday women and just like, this is what I'm wearing. Get over yourself. Right. Oh, yes. So many feels about that. Whatever. I can see it. Well, let's, well, let's talk about Chris Pratt. <laughs> and that's not going to get any better either. But yeah, let's talk about Chris Pratt. A few weeks ago, an Amy Berg tweeted out four pictures of Hollywood Chris's. And yes, I have my favorite of the Chris's, claiming <laughs> one must go, which went viral. It generated over 10,000 replies. And I thought we'd done this before, but maybe whatever. Oh, we've done it a million times. Yeah. So it's, uh, it trended internationally and it made the news. And despite the fact that it was meant to be a joke, most likely, uh, yeah. And the consensus named Chris Pratt Hollywood's worst Chris because of his religious and political views. Uh, recently, he had been alleged to be part of a church that was anti-LGBTQ. And um, and honestly, I actually talked about a conversion theory too, that they supported the conversion therapy of mm. a, a LGBTQ community. Um, and also, he leans Republican uh, and prompting... A lot of his co-stars to issue public statements defending him, including RDJ, Robert Downey Jr., Mark Gruffalo, James Gunn, and Zoe Saldana. And yeah, it was interesting to see everybody up in arms. I will say, Chris Pratt hadn't said anything and done anything for this moment, necessarily. (laughs) So it was kind of interesting to see everybody like, ah, do I say that wrong? Maybe not. Yeah, and and, and just to be clear about like the the political leanings, he's been pretty... It's hard to pin down. Yeah. But there's He's just been very been, vague for sure. There's just been signs like it's not only Republican, it's like way like Tea Party level Republican. Right. Potentially. And I will, and I will say he was also not a part of the uh, fundraising thing yeah. that the rest of the MCU were doing for uh, Biden Harris. So that also got some, yeah, it was all uh, wrapped up on that. Wrapped up with this. But it, I mean, it, like you said, it, one of the articles I read, I, I think it was from Vox, the, the author said, you know, we declare, we already had this argument in 2019. It's not It's not news. Why did these celebrities step in? Why did they feel like they had to step in for this sort of joke-level thing? Um, and yeah, where was all this support when other MCU stars like Brie Larson was harassed viciously mm. online for saying that, oh, heaven forbid, these movies should have more diversity in them. Um, there was even a, an attempted boycott right. of Captain Marvel. Um, pretty much the same thing happened to Tessa Thompson. It's almost like we've just accepted that that's the way it is for women on the internet. Uh, meanwhile, people are mean to Chris Pratt. Oh, unacceptable. No way. <laughs> 
And it's it's fair to not want to engage with misogynist, racist trolls, but guess what? I bet those women didn't want to either. I certainly don't. We don't get the choice. (laughs) Right. And yeah, it was interesting. And I will say, I think there was one, several tweets that said, uh, you know who's not a part of this conversation? The other Chris's who are (laughs) still on the list or the island. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, and I will say... uh, to that, when everything was going down with uh, Brie Larson, one of the people who did defend her was Chris uh, Evans. My oh. Chris. Oh, you got, you got your favorite Chris. It's just so funny that this became a news story. It really didn't right. need to. And it, I, mean, blew up. <laughs> I remember when I was going through Twitter and it, I saw him trending, I was like, oh my God, what did he say? Did he finally come out as yeah. you know, a Trump supporter? And, and there was nothing. He said nothing. It was just yeah. such a like, I was like, what is, what is going on? We're doing this again and this is a repeat? Yeah. I mean, 2020, we're grasping at anything at this point. Maybe. Any distraction. <laughs> um, so speaking of, let's talk about Cuties. Uh, the controversy around Cuties, this 2020 Netflix film. And note, I have not seen it. Have you? No. Okay. Uh, and this is a really messy, this is a really messy conversation, and we could probably expand this out. But uh, for this episode, which we are recording on October 30th, by the way, to put this in there. Um, This is a French-language film that centers on an 11-year-old immigrant from Senegal named Amy. Before it made it to Netflix, it got generally good reviews and even an award. But when Netflix started promoting it, it used this really misleading poster and description. So specifically American Netflix. Right. Um, So the cuties in this movie are a dance crew of cool girls in Paris. And the poster shows them in their sparkly spandex outfits. And the original description read that Amy, quote, becomes fascinated with a twerking dance crew, and she, quote, starts to explore her femininity, defying her family's traditions. Uh, And as you would expect, the internet went wild, petitioning for the movie to be removed. Uh, And by the way, it hadn't been released yet, review bombing it, accusing the film of sexualizing young girls. And again, this goes kind of hand in hand with the QAnon, hashtag save our girls or save our children. Mm-hmm. Plot. So this is definitely on top of what people are already believing in conspiracy theories. Um, and the petition got 400,000 signatures in the first week. And it read, quote, This movie slash show is disgusting as it sexualizes an 11-year-old for the viewing pleasures of pedophiles and also negatively influences our children. There is no need for this kind of content in that age group, especially when sex trafficking and pedophilia are so rampant. Again, QAnon. Um, There is no excuse, and this is dangerous content. And then a separate petition was called, um, quote, I want Netflix to remove the new movie Cuties as it promotes child pornography. And both of these petitions now have hundreds of thousands of signatures. But since the movie hadn't come out yet, it was clear that most people hadn't even seen it. People who have seen it say the American promotional material is very misleading and misrepresenting of the film, which is a coming-of-age focus on a black girl directed by a black woman, which may be part of the reason is getting so much outrage. Images comparing the French poster and the American poster started circulating around the internet, but of course it's kind of laid on the draw when you have all the other things trending. Yeah, yeah. In the face of this backlash, Netflix updated the image and the description and issued an apology. Quote, we're deeply sorry for the inappropriate artwork that we used 
for Mignon cuties. It was not okay, nor was it representative of this French film which won an award at Sundance. We've now updated the pictures and description. But people still called for the film's removal, and the director has been the recipient of several death threats and a lot of harassment, as have critics who positively reviewed the film. After the movie came out in September, conservative politicians got involved. Uh, Texas State Representative Matt Schaefer tweeted he'd asked Texas's attorney general to look into cuties for, quote, possible violations of child exploitation and child pornography laws. A prominent figure in far-right media accused the movie of being communist propaganda, and some have pointed out that, yes, this whole conservative backlash fits in with the QAnon thing. Yeah, and it definitely fits hand-in-hand. I will say to a lot of this, you know, you have to start asking about things like Dance Mom and all of these other cute uh, little shows. Tiaras, yeah. yeah, like really. So if this movie, uh, which is a commentary on her own life, from what I understand, I believe the, the director's own life, um, in like the competition world and trying to learn what this is and how it does kind of overtly sexualize girls and teach girls uh, their value in this way. What are we doing with this seasonal you know, huge yeah. shows that comes through the U.S. only. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's very, like, again, I haven't seen it, but I read a lot about it mm-hmm. for this. Uh, and I, it sounds like it's also very, what it is, what is it like with all of this sexualization and social media? Right. And how does that interact when it comes to young girls coming of age? And I will tell you, like, I, I don't know if, I, if you know this about me. I was in dance for like a split second. I was um, in dance for a while. Yeah, are you? So yeah. I did things like hip hop and lyrical. And lyrical is like a very like beautiful mix of ballet and hip hop contemporary dance uh, styles. And it's usually partnered oftentimes. Mm-hmm. And it's usually a girl and a boy doing all of these very like dramatic dances and love sequences, essentially. And I'm like... Mm-hmm. Where have you been in the last 50 years? This has been existing in all of culture with young kids doing this. So why are we talking about this now? Hmm. But yeah, Matt Schaefer, who we were just talking about, who is the politician uh, representative in Texas, went on to tweet the filing of an indictment by the grand jury in Texas for promoting material in Cutie's film, which depicts lewd exhibitions of pubic area of a clothed or partially clothed child who was younger than 18 years of age, which appeals to the period interest in sex. I'm going to take a big sigh. Yeah, and Netflix countered, uh, Cuties is a social commentary against the sexualization of young children. This is a charge without merit, and we stand by the film. And of course, Ted Cruz wrote a letter to Attorney General Bill Barr requesting the Department of Justice to investigate. Um, And as of now, Netflix's cancellation rate was up 800% attributed to the boycott of this movie, which, yeah, okay. There's so many things. Yeah, I mean, this so is... So many things. Yeah, and, and specifically the scene a lot of people are mad at uh, who have seen it, not just the poster. The scene where uh, the main character takes a picture of her vulva <laughs> and uh, sends it out on social media. But the way it's shot, from what I understand, like, is from a profile. You don't see anything. And it, again, it's about, like, what is it with social media? And she regrets it immediately and you can't take it back. And, you know... It's it's complicated. Um, and and just it's com- on that issue alone, like I told like the story many a times, being in the field that I was with the uh, Department of Juvenile Justice, I was working with uh, young adults and, and teenagers and kids who would do stuff like this yeah. and trying to teach them why this is such a bad idea and they still don't grasp it. And so it's kind of like, some of the things, some of the reasons that these things happen is because people ignore the fact that their child might do this. 
which is part of the commentary in this movie. Yeah, and it's also, she, the director, I think she interviewed at least 100, it might be way more than that, but it was at least 100 young girls of this age of like, what is it like being social media? What are these pressures you feel and all that? So anyway, uh, this is a conversation for another day, but a lot of the language criticizing this movie puts a spotlight on how terrified we are of young women's sexuality, uh, the transition into womanhood, and also like, how sexualized girls and women are. I couldn't think of a really good way to phrase this, but basically how they were like, of course, this is like pedophile attraction material. Like, right. I don't know. Like it, They were phrasing it in a way where I was like, wait, what are you saying? Part actually? of that is, is also the fact that they sexualized it. They did it to, yeah. to themselves and displaced whatever they feel onto this film outside of that. And they're like, so this is more of a commentary of what you think of young girls in general, like how you yeah. sexualize them immediately no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a whole different that's, We'll come back to that one day. <laughs> and speaking about sexualization of women, in our recent episode about misogynoir and hip-hop with uh, Kiana Fitzgerald, we talked a little a bit about the shooting of Megan Thee Stallion and how she had to continually defend herself from the constant harassment and belittlement due to it. Uh, but as of mid-October, Tori Lanes, who, is the, uh, who was initially arrested in July for the shooting, was charged with assault with firearms and possession of un- an unregistered gun. Of course, it will be a while before we know the results of the case, but Megan has not slowed down at all. And of course, the accusations and the... Harassment has continued even since then, but whatever. She has continued to use her voice to bring awareness to violence against black women. And in her recent SNL performance, if you weren't able to see it, she highlighted the injustice of the Breonna Taylor case and made sure to make her first performance uh, as a platform to discuss injustice and the continued fight of equality. And and it was a big conversation, and she brought up amazing platforms and a big discussion among Twitter and among all other people who are watching that about what she was doing and how amazing her performance was in in her highlighting, not only in her performance, but in her speeches. It It was fantastic. I don't know if you watched it at all. I did. I literally liked the bottom of your face song. That was funny. <laughs> um, girl, show me the bottom of your face. Uh, yeah. So that's it for the entertainment world. But we did want to talk about some politics. But first, we're going to pause for a quick break for word from our sponsor. We're back. Thank you, sponsor. So yes, we're a little behind, but we did want to talk about the last debate, the last presidential debate. Um, Kristen Welker, an NBC News anchor, became the first black female moderator for a presidential election since 1992. Mm-hmm. She is the co-anchor of Weekend Today, and when it was announced she would moderate the last presidential debate, uh, Trump wrote, she's always been terrible and unfair, just like most of the fake news reporters, but I'll still play the game. Which is unsurprising, uh, unfortunately, from him and that campaign. Many praised her work, though, as she did seem to fact-check a bit more than past moderators and also followed up more to unanswered questions. Definitely like, kind of kept it in on track. Yeah, um, and in this debate, uh, the commission of the presidential debate had the added addition of a mute button, wow. which could be used by the commission or someone the commission told them to do so, um, and not necessarily by the moderator. So Kristen didn't have any... Uh, say so. Mm-hmm. And according to one report, uh, it was only used once. So I'm trying to go huh. back and look because I'm not going to lie. I didn't watch the thing. I can't. I can't watch. 
Yeah, we I talked about this. <laughs> more. Um, and because there was less bombarding and creepy following around of an opponent, this debate was deemed more civil by a lot of people. Oh, our bar is so low. <laughs> so low. Um, and according to several news outlets, the consensus is that Joe Biden won, but barely. According to CNN, 60% of women said Biden won, while 47% of men did. And statistically showed that independents and moderates stating Biden won as well. And yes, we are recording a week ahead of the release. When you listen to this, it's possible you know who the president is. And this all sounds very meaningless. <laughs> um, but uh, we we did want to add, you know, th- these stats don't always predict what might happen during election. I keep, that's what I keep thinking. People are like, the polls, the polls. I'm like, just ignore the polls. Right. Um, uh, yeah, 2016, we had similar polls. Yeah, but the gender divide is interesting. Yeah, the gender divide was super interesting to me. I was very surprised by it. Um, and more about politics. We want to talk about Kamala. Not surprisingly, uh, there continues to be random childish attacks towards Senator Harris as different officials and politicians have been making last-minute pushes for their choice of presidential candidates. And in Macon, Georgia, Senator David Perdue of Georgia was seen while introducing not only mispronouncing Senator Kamala Harris's name, but continuing on with mocking her name and ending with whatever. His campaign stated it was just a mispronunciation, but many were quick to point out that not only could he have just said Senator Harris, which is fairly simple, um, he had also served alongside her in the Senator Budget Committee for years. So he has seen her and have worked with her face-to-face, side-by-side. This doesn't make sense. Yeah. It just, I mean, I don't believe for a second that's true, but if it was, what it would be saying is you're bad at your job, dude. Right. Um, And this opened up a conversation of how many people have had to deal with the mispronunciation of their name and sometimes being ostracized because of their name or ethnicity, as one article put it, Um, being othered, uh, made to be an outsider. The video sparked a hashtag, my name is, where people with less common names are able to discuss how to pronounce their name as well as the meaning behind it. Um, and more talking of people in politics. Uh, earlier this month, when the country found out that there had been a plot to kidnap the Michigan governor, Gretchen Whitmer, at the time, instead of calling out against those who had plotted the kidnapping plan, President Trump tweeted that he had, quote, his Justice Department foiled the plan and that she did not thank him. And then also continued about how awful of a governor she was and that she needed to open up the state, which, by the way, has not been under a stay-at-home order since June. Yeah. So it's been a minute. Uh-huh. Um, and has since then continued uh, attacking her while out attending rallies uh, throughout the country. During his speeches, the crowd will often start chanting, lock her up, which yeah. seems to be the lazy remake of his 2016 campaign. Mm-hmm. I know that's an opinion. <laughs> um, for no reason. There's no real reason why they are chanting this other yeah. than about the COVID mandates. Um, and he continues to state that she's not allowing for the state to open up, though, again, it has been open for some time now. Mm-hmm. Um, and during a recent interview, Governor Whitmer stated, every time he sets his sights on me, I get more death threats. The violent rhetoric has an uptick, and there's no question that it's had an impact. And Whitmer also said, I've had the conversation with my teenage children about why there's people with AR-15s on our front lawn on more than one occasion. And people are looking for any hook to legitimize these domestic terrorism tendencies. And I think that Donald Trump knows that, and it's not a coincidence, and he's feeding into it. Um, And I think it's definitely obvious as he makes fun of her statements by saying, oh, I'm not going to say anything bad because apparently it's my fault that she's doing a bad job as a governor. Yeah. So it's well, and also, like, in his 
dramatic uh, 60 minutes leaving of Leslie Stahl. Uh, she, Leslie Stahl asked him, like, you know, do you think she should be locked up? And he's like, oh, I've never said that. That's a nasty thing. How terrible of you. You, That's a really vile thing you just said to me. And then there's, like, in the clip, obviously. Uh, <laughs> so we also wanted to talk about uh, the rush confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett, which we did in the Monday Mini, but just a little bit more on that. On Monday, October 26th, Amy Coney Barrett was confirmed to the Supreme Court with a 52-48 vote and was met with celebration when she and Trump walked onto the balcony of the White House uh, in the night, I'll say, Mm -hmm. which many felt was too much of a show of her loyalty to a person rather than a country. It was very partisan. Uh, And, of course, many memes and commentary uh, came from their posing. Yes. Um, And as of October 28th, she has not been a part of any ruling, including the Republican challenge in the Philadelphia ballot deadline case, stating that they should wait until after Election Day for a final weigh-in. As a reminder, when questioned if she would recuse herself from any decisions based on the elections, she did not answer and refused to make a statement in regards to whether she would or wouldn't. Right. Um, And as she was confirmed, she is the fifth woman to be appointed to the Supreme Court. And we did get a suggestion that we should do an episode on the women in the Supreme Court. And I think it's a good idea. Yeah. We'll have that on our list now. Um, And though some celebrate on the basis that she has accomplished something because she is a woman, many fear that uh, her conservative views and background will push back the works of those female judges like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, The Girl Scouts offered their congratulations to Judge Barrett after her confirmation. And there are many who felt this to be against what the Girl Scouts stood for, but many who felt that celebrating a woman's accomplishments should be shared within organizations like the Girl Scouts. But has since then, they have deleted this tweet as well as sent an apology. So, oh, wow. very interesting, yes. Wow. Girl Scouts, okay. Um, we do have a little bit more for you. We're going to broaden our view. But first, we're going to pause for one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. back. Thank you, sponsor. And we're back with the Pope. The Pope. <laughs> the Pope, yes. In a new documentary, Pope Francis said, quote, homosexual people have a right to be in a family. They're children of God and have a right to a family. Nobody should be thrown out or be made miserable over it. What we have to create is a civil union law. That way, they are legally covered. I do want to put in here, I have not seen this documentary either, so I can't speak to what else goes on in it. Um, Several bishops, when this comment came out, uh, angrily fired back, which is interesting. Um, I, I believe he also named the first African-American bishop he recently, did. too. Mm-hmm. He did. Yeah. Um, so there's that. We'll see <laughs> how that goes. Um, and then we wanted to talk about New Zealand. New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern just won re-election in a landslide, in part because of her successful handling of the coronavirus Apparently, polls show New Zealanders have felt positive about their government for about 20 years, and the U.S. has 40 years of, quote, net negative feeling, which I find fascinating. Um, And also this quote from Trump when he was asked about her, he said, this woman wanted to get reelected, so she decided to go after the coronavirus and beat it. This woman is a disgrace. (laughs) It's terrible, but it's so funny. 
I don't understand how that's a yeah, as, as if that's something to make fun of someone for yeah. because they actually have a she succeeded. Yeah, <laughs> help their community and uh, well, you know. Yeah, I I was like, is this an Onion article? This can't yeah. be real. Yeah, it's kind of like it's definitely one of those same things because I was thinking about this <laughs> yesterday uh, while I was driving with no power. Um, how everything is being made fun of the masks, everything. And but the minute he has a mask on, it's so manly and so yeah. stylish. You know, like all of these yeah. like weird, the same like uh, the king with no clothes type of thing about them all sucking up. But this is that same thing. It's like, hey, don't celebrate this. Don't don't make this a thing because uh, I can't do it. Exactly, so obviously, yeah. we need to make fun of it somehow. Like yeah. if I, if I can't, if I'm not successful and someone else is, make fun of them. Yeah. It's the only way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as in fact, talking about New Zealand, uh, there has been, out of 126 in their parliament, 57 of them are going to women. That's 48%, which is an amazing number. Uh, That is so close to getting 50-50. Could you imagine getting to that point? You have to celebrate that. Way to go, New Zealand. Can I move there? (laughs) I mean, you can, uh, now's the time. <laughs> I don't think um, so. They're not going to let me in. We already know what's happening. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I think we're stuck here, Samantha. I know. Um, and though we do want to celebrate that, there are other things that are happening that are not celebratory. And we wanted to talk about it. We need to focus on some of the things which, uh, for weeks now, protests have been erupting throughout Nigeria after a video of a young man being shot and pushed out of his car uh, while a SARS or a special anti-robbery squad officer drove off in that car and it went viral. In Lagos, Nigeria, protests has continued and it gained an international following of the hashtag in SARS. SARS was created in 1992 in response to an anti-robbery initiative where plainclothes officers without arms were patrolling with their main responsibility being reporting, monitoring radio communications, and assisting in arresting criminals and armed robbers, which was a big problem in that part of the region. Um, And by 2002, SARS had spread to all 36 states and under the federal capital territory, Abuja. As powers grew, many allegations and reports were coming out about SARS extorting, illegally detaining, and even torturing and killing citizens. They targeted young men for online fraud, cyber crimes, or other things like that with the simple evidence that they owned a smartphone or a computer and would extort large amounts of money for their release. And on October 20th, now being referred to as Black Tuesday, police killed 12 people who were peacefully protesting the continued brutality of the police and government. Throughout the nation, a total of at least 52 people have been killed, 38 of those victims on that Tuesday alone. Amnesty International has reported at least, quote, 82 cases of torture, ill treatment, and extrajudicial execution by SARS between January 2017 and May 2020, mostly targeting young men between the ages of 18 and 35. And though protests have been happening since 2017, the movement has brought more protesters, not led by one person, but driven by the youth of Nigeria. And as many women we talked about in our episode, When Women Organize, the women of Nigeria continue to play big roles in pushing forward with the protest. As writer Chuchima Ikebu, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, writes in her article, hashtag InSARS, Nigerian women are no strangers to organizing. Quote, countless women have been involved in the hashtag InSARS movement. 
Moa Dele and her team of lawyers have helped to release almost 100 peaceful protesters from unlawful imprisonment. Chef Imoteba from Hills in the Kitchen provided protesters with meals. Kiki Morty helped to fund a few journalists covering the protest. Amara the Lesbian, a YouTuber, provided queer protesters with money and support and reminded Nigerians that we are not free until everyone is, and so many other women, some without large social media followings to recognize them. They achieved all this while balancing their own lives and displayed the empathy and transparency barren in our current government. And women around the country continue to not only organize on the ground, but continue to spotlight the atrocities happening in their nation. Um, Nigerian DJ Obian Uju, Catherine Ude, or better known as DJ Switch, live-streamed the Black Tuesday massacre, which was witnessed by 150,000 viewers at the time. Uh, many women like DJ Switch have been at the forefront of many of these protests and have been speaking out. Women such as the collective of Nigerian women who are part of the Feminist Coalition, which formed in July of 2020 to work for the investment of women's rights in Nigeria. They've been fundraising to support and aid protesters on the ground. And of course, we haven't mentioned all the many women who have been involved not only in this movement, but also many other human rights movements that have made history in Nigeria, such as uh, Yusufo of the Bring Back Our Girls movement, which called for the safe return of Chipik schoolgirls uh, that were kidnapped by Boko Haram in 2014, and who has also been involved with the hashtag Insars protest. So, I feel like I say this in every episode, but we've covered a lot of ground in this one. And there's so much going on right now. Uh, if there's something that we should have talked about or you want us to talk about, please let us know. Um, you can email us. Our email is stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuff I've never told you. Thanks as always to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. <laughs> 